Hey everybody, welcome back to another Revelation podcast by Different Church. My name is Jarrett and with me is Hannah. How's it going, Hannah? It is going. It is a Sunday and I'm excited. Yeah, we've never recorded a podcast on a Sunday before. We actually just got done watching you blab on our uh, virtual service. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that was super fun for everyone. But you know, Sunday is the Lord's Day, so there's an extra helping of blessing on this podcast. That's right. Aren't we supposed to be like uh, resting right now? Yeah. What is that? (laughs) (laughs) Everything is rest during Corona times and nothing is rest. Yeah, I um I have a tweet already to to fire off like joking about myself. So I already pretty much every day of my life always wear like a black t-shirt and a hat. It's just like laziness and it's one thing that I feel like I look good in. But now in corona times, I'm just wearing stretchy pants every day. So I hope that, you know, normal world people are ready to see me in black shirt, hat and stretchy pants every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to putting on real clothing again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, uh, we are here today with Revelation chapter 4, and uh, I'm pretty excited, and I hope uh, you guys are too, and we should probably just jump in, right? Yep, so the first section is verses 1 through 6a, so Jarrett is going to read that, and then we shall discuss. That's such a funny, like, church-specific thing, that you can just divide a sentence into A and B, if you, like... You know, if if the verse isn't in in the right spot, it's just, it's 6A. (laughs) Well, technically, the end, where we're going to end is the end of a sentence. And just remember that the verses and chapter designations were not there when this was written. They were arbitrarily added by someone much, much later. We weren't even supposed to talk about it in the podcast, but look, that's like bonus information downloaded straight to your brain. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, here it comes. Then, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like Jasper and Carnelian. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. Yes. So we, chapter four is really where the story starts in Revelation. So we've already done three chapters and they're just like preparation. They're the letters to the churches. It's an introduction. But chapter four is where the actual revelation of the book of Revelation starts that gives the book its title. And everything from this point on is the vision that John sees while he is in the throne room with God. Now's when it's going to get even weirder. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I just so want to say you... before you start. So if you don't know, I have a toddler. He's almost three and he's not old enough to to like watch full movies yet. But he likes, you know, bits and pieces. And of course, he loves the songs. And I had never seen Moana, but I have seen a lot of the songs. 
in that last uh, the last verse that I read about the shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal makes me think of the shiny song from Moana. So I'm going hmm. to be humming that and thinking about it for the duration of this podcast. <laughs> well, then we'll have to have a Moana title for this yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good idea. Last one was always sunny. Now we have Disney. It's yeah, the same it's thing, shiny. right? shiny. I don't know any of the lyrics. <laughs> I'm going to have to look them up. I don't either. I only saw that movie once. I I bet it's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> so what do you think of when you read about a door in heaven? What is the image in your mind? Um. Oh gosh, I guess it's the image in my mind is literally just like a door kind of floating in the sky. Uh, now that I think about it, maybe like the pearly gates kind of thing. Maybe I might think about that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common. So I think a lot of people imagine that John is looking up into the sky and seeing a door open somewhere. Um, and then he's in, he's like sucked up into the sky to enter the heavenly realm. Um, but remember that we have kind of talked about this before that John or that heaven and earth are not actually separated in Revelation. They are what they're not separated like they are in our popular imagination where heaven yeah. is in the sky and earth is down here. So if heaven is right here, then the door is not actually opening in the sky. It's a door opening right in front of John. Before you could only see like your bedroom or your studio. And now there's a door into a whole entirely different world. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like so uh, it's the Dark has, Tower books, if anybody's read those. I haven't read them, but I heard the movie was terrible. Oh, gosh. Don't <laughs> so get me started. So I didn't watch it. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> some people think that this also has, you know, it's like something to do with God's people being snatched up into the sky as well. Like John's being invited up into heaven. And so will we be at some point? Um, but it's not. It's just think of this metaphor as the prophet John is being taken into God's throne room so that he can see behind the scenes and understand what's going to happen and how it's all going to fit together and make sense. And then try to explain it to us. Now, this chapter and the next chapter, chapter five, they don't stand alone. So at one level, they're introducing this entire sequence of prophecies that are going to take us through the rest of the book. But at another level, so they're introducing the entire book, but they're also introducing just the first sequence of prophecies, the seven seals, which have to be broken open if the scroll that contains God's purposes is going to be unrolled. So it's going to help us keep balance in the middle of all of this crazy language, crazy metaphors, everything going on if we see the book structured around its sequences of seven. Okay. So we've already had one sequence of seven. Do yep, you know the, what that is? The, the churches, the letters to the churches. Yep. So now we get introduced to the seven seals, which are going to be opened through chapter six and seven. The seventh seal will introduce another sequence, which is the seven trumpets, which were blown one by one through chapters eight through 11, I think. And then, of course, in the center of the book, we have these visions that talk about the ultimate source of evil. So the dragon, and then there's a beast from the sea and a beast from the land, and how these monsters are going to be defeated. So that's right in the center of the book. And then we have a final sequence of seven, which are the seven bowls of God's wrath, which these are kind of similar to the plagues in Egypt. Those That takes us all the way through chapter 19. And then finally, you will get the old dragon himself, which he is dealt with in chapter 20. The old dragon. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so we're not, when we think in chapter four and five, what John is seeing in the throne room of heaven, sometimes we tend to think that it's the final stage of God's purposes. Like this is what heaven looks like forever and always. But actually, John's not seeing a vision of the ultimate heaven. He's seeing, John is getting admitted into heaven as it is right at that moment. So just as John is progressing through time, in this vision, heaven is progressing through time and John is in the exact time that heaven is existing when this book is written. Wow, okay. That's pretty trippy. (laughs) Yeah. So all of the visions that John is getting are about things that are taking place after he is in heaven, not that have already happened. Okay. It's not the end of the world, okay, but just these horrible events that are about to just completely engulf the world and cause all this suffering for God's people. Of course, they've all been warned already because in the letters to the seven churches, every every single church was already warned about all the terrible things that were going to happen. So John is summoned into the throne room, just like some of the ancient Israelite prophets have been before, and he is standing in God's council chamber and kind of listening and watching what's going on, and then he's going to report it back to people on earth. There's a few examples of this in the Old Testament, um, and I'm just going to pick up two in case anybody wants to dig deeper. There, In 1 Kings 22, there's a prophet called Micaiah ben Imla, and he is he gets to go into God's throne room and see God sitting on the throne with the host around him. And he kind of hears all of these discussions and plans between God and everyone else. <coughs> and then in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel's given this vision of God's throne chariot that's kind of going all over the place with fiery wheels. And it's similar language that we get here. That's the one that uh, all the ancient astronaut theorists point to the Bible was actually made by aliens. <laughs> is it? Yeah, because Ezekiel gets invited into, you know, God's, I'm doing air quotes, throne room, and he sees all mm-hmm. of the mechanisms and the whirling to and fro and all that stuff. Oh, I have never heard that before. That's so interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I should know more about the alien theories of creation. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to call yourself a, a serious pastor, you have to know this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll do better. Next time, <laughs> I'll do better. <laughs> Now, the rainbow in this passage that surrounds God's throne, what could that be a callback to? Uh, okay, so Noah. Mm-hmm. The story, the, the promise specifically. Absolutely. And what was the promise? That God would never destroy the earth with flood again. Yes. So it's important to note that that is here in God's throne room, that this promise that was made thousands of years before is still there, is That's still cool. being honored. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be kind of a challenge to our imagination, and this is not the only time <laughs> that the language in Revelation is going to challenge us like this, but it's it says a rainbow looking like an emerald <laughs> is literally what it translates to, which doesn't make any sense. Like, how could you have a rainbow that looks like green? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> but huh. the effect is basically rich and this beautiful thing that's glowing around God's throne room. I wonder if that's some sort of like, um, you know, <laughs> a local flavor kind of thing. Like maybe they had jewels that were emeralds, but also 
contained like some sort of prism like rainbow thing or something i don't know <laughs> i have no idea that is a theory that we shall put forth to the world if you know you can email us <laughs> okay perfect <laughs> So here we see God's council, which are made up of the 24 elders. They are all sitting on separate thrones, and they are representing almost certainly a combination of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. So I don't want you to think that God's council is literally made up of 24 people (laughs) and they have to be there. It's they're representing something just like everything in Revelation represents something. So. The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles together are together make 24, which is the embodied perfection of the people of God that are sharing in the rule of God over the world. So you see they're all wearing white robes, which indicates what based on all of the letters that we read. Uh, holiness. Close. Victory. Ah. Because... In the letters to the seven churches, we see over and over again that Jesus says, if you will be given, if you conquer, you will okay, be given yeah. a white robe. You will yeah. be given a crown. These are the robes that you that will mark you out as sharing in my rule. So they indicate victory. They designate them as part of the royal priesthood. And then notice God's throne room is not just a calm scene. There's lightning and thunder going on <laughs> all over the place inside of the throne room. How relaxing. (laughs) And we will see that whenever you see lightning and thunder and booming and crashing in Revelation, it's it's happening at significant moments. So it's happening here, the first glimpse that John gets. It's going to happen in chapter 8, and then again in chapter 11, and then again in chapter 16. So when God's purposes are being disclosed, things are just shaken up alarmingly. Like, at one point, there's lightning and thunder and an earthquake. Wow. Because... You just can't handle the truth, I guess. And then the final detail in the opening description of this throne room is something like a sea of glass. That's what it says. Now, that is rather mysterious. (laughs) Um, In the Old Testament, if you're trying to think of a link or something to link this to, Solomon's temple had what was called a sea, quote unquote. It was like this huge bronze bowl in first kings so maybe perhaps that's what john is referring to but it almost seems like in revelation the sea of glass ends up being more like the red sea which the children of israel of course passed through to safety and we see this kind of metaphor change in chapter 15 in revelation where the sea of glass kind of has this red sea image and there is another sea in revelation as well where the great beast emerges from that's in chapter 13 where we get this whole series of like the beast from the land and the beast from the sea and the old dragon so all of this happens and there's multiple seas in revelation and then at the very end of revelation there's no longer a sea at all so you can kind of see where people might be confused by all of these different seas but what i think is important to note is that all of the different seas in revelation seem to be kind of symbolic and represent the fact that inside God's world, like it currently is, there is evil and present, evil present and dangerous. So there is definitely evil existing. However, it's contained within God's purposes and will eventually be overthrown. So the the sea 
where God can see what everything is going on on the world in the throne room is it exists, but it's inside God's throne room. I don't know if I'm making sense. Am I making kind sense? Kind of. Yeah. And it's interesting that there it's crystal clear. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to be scared of it. Uh, I like that you use the word mysterious and like mystery to think about the seas because that, that's kind of what I think too is like it's kind of this symbolic representation of just like I don't know like there's there's a sea and uh, there could be something bad in there but in God's throne room it's crystal clear so you know there's nothing bad but also maybe like it kind of represents like a little bit of separation maybe um God's mm-hmm. on the other side of it we're on this side and then at the end there is no more sea so there's no more separation Right. No separation and everything that's going on inside of it has been taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. There's no need for the mystery, I guess. I don't know. I'm just totally guessing. But those are the the kind of like images and ideas that I get in my head when we talk about it. Absolutely. And then when we think of the throne room where the sea is being contained and like God on his throne and all these elders around him, for the readers of John, this would immediately give them an image of something else. Which, what might that be if they were thinking of something else of a throne room? Uh, Say that again. I'm sorry. So the idea of this throne room with someone sitting on the throne, surrounded by all these senior counselors who have important say, like, what is that going to remind John's readers of? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Like uh, Rome. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So here we already have the hints. I mean, we already know the hints of the power struggle, right? Because we've seen in the letters to the churches. But... Right here, we are being invited to see almost like the powers of the world, even with their courts and their thrones and their senior advisors all set up in a circle. They're just parodies. They're just cheap imitation copies of the one true council, of the one true court that rules in heaven. Yeah, Caesar's throne room definitely does not have a crystal sea in it. No, (laughs) not at all. (laughs) (laughs) And then as John's vision unfolds, we're going to see how these human kingdoms acquire their power, which is usually wicked and cruel. And it's completely, God's power is completely different. It's radically different. And it wins the victory over these huge, impressive, monumental powers that are existing in the world. And yet God's power shows them for what they are, which is nothing but a cheap copy. Nice. So that's the victory that the seven churches or the seven letters are urging the churches to share in. So this is how the victory comes about. So first we have reality, right? So for his readers, behind this confusion of church life in ancient Turkey and behind the challenges of these fake synagogues and the synagogues that belong to Satan and the threats of the ruling people and getting martyred and persecuted and all of this stuff, behind all of that, John wants everyone to know that there is a heavenly throne room in which the world's creator and Lord remains sovereign. So basically, (laughs) I guess the message of Revelation is it sucks, keep the faith, but this is why you keep the faith. Okay. Because you are not in the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is actually in God's throne room. Yeah. So it's a little more than just it sucks, keep the faith. It gives us actual reasons why it makes sense to 
Absolutely. And of course, the whole sequence of revelation ends in victory for God. Of course, it has to. Like, if it didn't end in victory for God, why would we waste our time reading it? <laughs> We'd be like, well, there's another failed attempt at trying to contain evil in the world. Oh, no, so we suck is- again. <laughs> yep. So that's the first six verses. And then we just, I just love the imagery in Revelation. It's so exciting all of the ways that things are described. Um, Some of them are just beautiful and mysterious and wonderful. And some of the images in Revelation are like straight out of a horror film, which we will (laughs) get to at some point. Um, So just remember as we go along that you, you want your imagination to be involved in this. And if you, if we're going to fast, like if we're just hitting all the points and then ending the podcast, you can always go and read Revelation yourself and just kind of dwell on the images and kind of imagine what they would look like to you. That's totally fine. And like kind of fun. Absolutely. So we will go on to uh, verse 6b (laughs) through the end of the chapter, which is verse 11. Um, And I'll go ahead and read this section. So we're continuing our description of what is going on in God's throne room. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So how how do you feel about (laughs) creatures covered in eyeballs? I don't feel good about that, Hannah. I'm not going (laughs) to... It does not make me uh, have the warm fuzzies. <laughs> it's well, um, okay. So it's like uh, what is it? Uh, the Pan's Labyrinth, the the creature with mm-hmm. the eyeballs on his hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels creepy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it definitely carries some weight in this passage. So there seems to be a delineation between these four creatures and the elders, the twenty four elders. So the the question. And I don't think this is a question just posed in Revelation. What can humans do that animals can't do? Praise God. Yes, but (laughs) yes and no. So here, clearly, the animals are praising God. Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, So in our present passage, what could be the difference? In our present, say that again. In our present passage, like if you look at the two praises, the ones that the animals sing and the ones that the elders sing, what is what could be the difference between those two phrases okay, of okay. praise to God? Let me see. Do, 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 do. There is one word that um, is... I don't know. It is the word because... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, maybe that was mean <laughs> of me to ask you <laughs> that question. But the it seems like the main difference is that because both the animals are praising God and humans, these elders are praising gods, but the animals can't say because. They don't understand why they are praising. Interesting. So in in the first phrase that the animals are saying in verse 8, this is a song which the four living creatures are singing around the clock, day and night. They're praising God as this holy and everlasting being. And the creatures kind of deserve our attention for other reasons as well. So these creatures, this is not the first time you see them in the Bible. They seem to, in some ways, resemble the seraphim who surround God in Isaiah's vision of the temple. And they're also similar to the four creatures in Ezekiel's vision when Ezekiel's in the throne room. So remember, John's not making all of this up out of thin air. He is having this vision after being in his scripture for days and days on end. And so they represent, these four creatures represent the animal creation, including humans, but it seems like at this stage, the human is just one among the animals that doesn't have any elevated status. So we have the creature with a face like a lion. So the king of the beasts, right? We yep. have the face like an ox, which would be the leader of the tamed animals. Like if you were a farmer in that culture, the ox would be the most valuable possession, not a horse, <laughs> because an ox could pull much, much more weight. And then there, of course, is the king of the birds, which is the eagle. And then you have a human, hmm. a creature with a face like a human. And these creatures seem to be there just surrounding God's throne, ready to do God's bidding at any point. So twice, John says, they're full of eyes. They're covered in eyes. They're yeah, just, they never sleep. Out. Yeah. I know. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> inside know. and, and out. And how did he know it was inside and out? Mm-hmm. But the metaphor seems to be that they don't sleep. They praise constantly and they keep watch for God over God's entire creation. And their song is just an just a song of praise. And it can remind us of what we find in Psalms, where all creation cries out to God, all creation praises God and is dependent on God in that way, um, which I think would be interesting for the church to really take a look at if we really considered that all creation is praising God, it might change how we interact with creation and how we oh, yeah. use creation. A amen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we say amen, but we don't really want to think about it, right? <laughs> like we still want to use all the plastic in the world and like we still want to use all fossil fuels and we want regulations to be cut so that. Yeah. 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 I want to say but, it. I don't necessarily want to do my part. <laughs> Absolutely, because it's difficult. But here we have this image in God's throne room of the actual created order praising God and doing God's purposes, like being ready in a moment to fly because they have these six wings and take care of something for God. But there is a contrast between these four creatures and the 24 elders because creation as a whole, that just worships God. The humans who represent God's people, these 24 elders, understand why they are worshiping God. They say, you deserve to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. The animals just say, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's all they say. So that's the because. That's the thing that distinguishes the humans from the other animals. However beautiful and noble the answers of the animals are in their own way. 
humans are given the capacity to reflect and understand what is going on and then to express that understanding in worship, which animals do not have the capacity to do that. And so even here in Revelation, John is saying everything is important. The created order is important and God cares about it deeply. But humans are, just as in the creation story at the beginning of the Bible, humans still have a special status. Yeah. It's so cool that um, to include the human-faced creature um, in the you know in the first part, because yes, we're special and different, but also we're not. Um, like to know that we still are included in like all these other things. It, it kind of makes like, I mean, we just said it, but it, it like it makes the animals around us like <laughs> this is going to sound cheesy, but more like brothers <laughs> and sisters than like things for us to dominate. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. now it goes forward and it does set us apart from them a little bit, but you, you can't ever get to the point where you forgot that at some point, you know, you were kind of rubbing elbows with the lions and the eagles or whatever. Absolutely. And we have such a problem, I think, especially in the Western church of thinking that we are so much better than creation. Like we've completely abandoned, um, I'm trying to think how to say this, the, Something that you find in many, many much older Christianity and more native religions around the world is that we are all interconnected and we all have an effect on each other. And what we do matters no matter what we do or when we do it in history. We have an effect and we, I would say, in the Western world have an incredible lack of respect for the interconnectedness of the created order and how important every single part is. And we are supposed to be playing that part and understanding why we're playing that part. Yeah. Yeah. We're so much more excited about the, you know, concepts from like the story of Adam and Eve where, you know, Adam was in charge and he's the master of all the things in the, like we, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what we're definitely the masters of our domain and we can till the earth and we can rip down the trees. And it's like, okay, <clears throat> like, yeah, that's there in scripture, but you can't forget about the other part. It's, it's just like tons of other things in the Bible that are, they seem like contradictions, but they're not contradictions. They're paradoxes. And, you know, it's both things are true at the same time. And you have to know when to lean on which way or the other. Absolutely. And also when we think about being in charge (laughs) and tilling the ground and doing whatever we want, right? And laboring and being leaders or whatever that means. Well, Revelation tells us clearly what that means. And so does the New Testament. If you are going to lead correctly, if you are going to serve the earth and serve God correctly, then you're going to follow Jesus' example which is one of sacrifice, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not of gaining everything for yourself. <laughs> and so, you know, we just, in every chapter, there is a reminder of why revelation is difficult to understand and why when it is understood, people don't want to understand it because it will <laughs> challenge everything about our lives. And Yeah, they want to talk about the 24 elders and the seals and all the weird symbolism but whenever the uh whenever the meaning comes out no no that's that's not it the eagles with the (laughs) eyeballs absolutely we it's so it would be so much better right if we could just ignore the call to personal and communal action 
that the gospel gives us. But here we see, you know, the difference is, of course, humans can say because and the animals just praise. But it's not just that humans can say because. Worship is the most central human activity. Worship is actually what we were created for because it's what marks us out as human beings. So in Revelation, the only difference between the animal population and the human population is the humans understand why they're worshiping, which means if we are not worshiping and we don't understand why we're worshiping, then we are not separated and we're just one (laughs) of everybody else. Good point, good point. (laughs) So this scene, this crazy, vibrant, scene of thunder and lightning and animals and elders and everything that's going on in the sea of glass is the foundation for everything else that follows in the rest of this book. Everything that is to come in Revelation is flowing from the one fact that the entire creation, everybody included, is called to worship God as its creator. And There's so many problems in creation, and Revelation does not shy away from them, but it means that the creator has to do something. The creator must act to put creation back to right, not because creation is bad and God is angry, but because creation is good and God is angry with the forces that have corrupted it and are seeking to destroy it and deface it. And this is going to come up over and over in Revelation. God is not trying to destroy creation because it's bad and somehow went terribly wrong. It went terribly wrong because there are forces of evil inside the world, but creation is good and deserves to be saved. And humans fundamentally deserve to be, God wants to save them. Nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a very uh, kind of subtle shift in, in thinking from the way I think a lot of churches present that sort of thing. It usually, you know, we're coming up in school whenever you're introduced to like the sinners in the hands of the angry God, hellfire and brimstone kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, even though we have a ton of like cool, hip evangelical churches, uh, that's still kind of what they're doing. They're just doing it in a more slick package, I guess. Right. And I don't want people to think that God is not angry (laughs) that's a weird thing to say (laughs) let me explain (laughs) don't don't be that let that be the one takeaway god is angry god has (laughs) to be angry right there if god looked at what is going on in the world and said nope that's all fine (laughs) then it wouldn't be the type of god that we could in any sort of good conscience lend our allegiance to or lend our worship to god has to do something if god doesn't do something and doesn't put the world to right, and doesn't have a plan, then what are we doing worshiping that God? Yeah, it's no longer God at that point. Right. So God is rightfully angry (laughs) at what has been done to humans, what humans are doing to themselves, and what we are doing to the world. But fundamentally, it doesn't change the fact that creation was created to be good, And humans were created to be good. And that's what makes the whole thing worth saving. Instead of God being like, well, I'm going to scrap it. (laughs) There's no (laughs) point anymore. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if like uh, a a funny way to um, read this is uh, he's got the rainbow in his, you know, in his, in his throne room. And like how many times a day is he like tempted to like hit the button and 
reset it again. Like he's watching, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's watching me like I get too mad at my kid and I like overreact or something. So oh, I'm going to end it all. No, no, no. I've got the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny metaphor. <laughs> it sounds like it could come from like a cartoon or something about yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh my, are you serious? Like your Hannah's driving in traffic and you get road rage. She's flipping him off. I get, Oh, I'm going to hit the button. No, I can't <laughs> back to the rainbow. <laughs> yes. But also, like, we think, like, we're so quick to jump to examples like that of just us doing something wrong. When us doing something wrong, yes, that matters. However, what matters more than me saying a flipping off my neighbor or whatever is the systems <laughs> <Again>. of oppression. <laughs> yeah, again. <laughs> is the systems of oppression and the systems of harm that have been created by humans to that are way more harmful than me flipping off my neighbor or me telling a lie all of those things like if i tell a lie or i am angry at my neighbor and i act out like that that's bad and i need to repent from that but systemically it's not going to cause harm to massive amounts of people hmm. and we always treat god fixing the world as fixing us individually and there's definitely a component of that but in revelation there, there is an individual component of people individually repenting and turning to God. And there is a worldwide component of God going, the whole structure has to come down. You can all repent and that's fine. But if Rome doesn't fall, there's still persecution. Like it's still not fixed if the systems are not obliterated, yeah. essentially. Yeah, that's that's good. It's uh, That's not as funny of a joke <laughs> as when I was riffing <laughs> before. But yeah, totally. Like... Yeah, yeah. Racism, sexism, age, whatever, all the isms, like, and some of them we, you know, we know are terrible and we point them out and we do our best not to be involved, but others we're in and we don't even know. And there's so much of that. And yeah, you're right. That's, that's the real juice that needs to fall down, I guess. Mm hmm. And we see, I mean, these little worshiping passages that we just read, they show up several times in Revelation. Um, and they, John is telling us about them, not so that he can reflect. It's not as though heaven, the worship in heaven is reflecting the worship on earth. Rather, what is happening in heaven with all of this worship and all of this praise is what should be happening on earth. Like, heaven is in charge. <laughs> heaven yeah. gives us the lead. Right, heaven's it's leading not, the way. Yeah, we, we tend to think of heaven as like a spiritual dimension of what we choose to do. But heaven is the reality. We are in the upside down. <laughs> and if you haven't seen Stranger Things, that's probably a weird reference. But I'm probably going to make it like a million times <laughs> throughout the rest of these podcasts. <laughs> we are not in the ultimate reality. Heaven is in charge. And all creation is to worship God. And we're called to worship God with our mind and our heart and recognize that God is worthy of worship because he is the creator of all things. And that is the end of <laughs> chapter Amen. four. It's Man, quite a metaphor. Yeah, it's getting weird. <laughs> and it will get weirder. <laughs> so buckle up. <laughs> I actually, you know, this is going to sound terrible, but I might actually go home and read that again. Why is that going to sound terrible? That's the, what I want you to do. 
have not done that so far. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's some parts, there's parts in Revelation that you will want to read again. And there are parts in Revelation that you will definitely not want to read again because they're horrible. Um, But I, I think that's fine. We can make it through together. I, uh, I was imagining writing my own revelation uh, mm-hmm. while we were talking and I, I didn't get very far because I didn't I wanted to stay present in the conversation <laughs> but uh, I think the eagle <clears throat> I was thinking of like put you know putting lots of eagle imagery in my revelation because it would be good for local flavor uh, it would ultimately be a book about finding freedom through this heavenly realm and it would be good for local flavor because everybody knows that the eagle represents freedom for us. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm yeah, going to write I mean, it and I'll I'll, um, I'll call whoever I need to call to see if we can get it added in. I think that would be a good uh, homework assignment, honestly. Like yeah. if you feel up to it, like write a revel- write a vision of what you think God's throne room would look like. Um, oh, man. Okay, we're not going to like it. obviously give it the same weight as what's in the Bible. <laughs> But I think it's speak a good yourself. exercise in using our imagination and allowing God to speak through that. Like, what things would you imagine to be in God's throne room? What would it look like? I'm totally doing it. Cool. <laughs> There's so much Netflix. Yes. That's it. That's 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 the whole throne room. <laughs> Yeah, I would. I don't want to be. I've had enough. Yeah, good point. I would like to be let out of the house now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a giant switch where you can turn everything off if you want to and just go outside. Mm hmm. Cool. Well, thank you uh, for getting us through chapter four. Uh, For those of you following along at home, hopefully you thought it was just as cool as I did. And if you want to do the homework assignment, that would be kind of fun, too. Um, if you do it, why don't you reach out to us on social media at Diff Church, D-I-F-F, or hello at diffchurch.com. You can shoot it to us via email. And maybe if we get a couple, we can uh, read them next week or, or the week after or something. Yeah, that would be really cool. Cool. So hope you're having an awesome day. Thank you so much for listening with us. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.